Hey everyone, thank you for joining me on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with Henry Rivers, president of the National Brotherhood of Skiers. This is the largest and oldest black ski organization in the world, with over 3,500 members and a 50th anniversary coming up in 2023. So let's get into it. Henry, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing amazing. So we're going to jump right in. And I want to start with some questions about you. So you were born in Queens, right? Queens, New York. Yes. So what was your introduction to skiing? Well, my parents moved us upstate New York, up into the Catskill regions, the first set of mountains you get to in New York. And back then in the 70s, we got a lot of snow. Late 60s, early 70s. Thanksgiving came, you had three feet of snow outside. And what do you do? I mean, do you stay indoors for six months or do you go outside and and start enjoying things? I chose a ladder, found a pair of skis, tried them on. They fit me, but they were a little long because I was all five feet tall and the skis were longer than six feet. And just started messing around outside in the snow. Amazing. So where's your home hill now? My home hill now is at Wyndham, New York, which is not far from where I started. I started in a little ski area called Phoenicia Ski Center or the Simpson Ski Center. Graduated up to Bel Air Mountain, which was a state-run facility. That was great. Now I'm at Wyndham Mountain, which is a, a privately owned resort. And it's a, it's a very good family resort. That's why I'm there with my children and my wife. And this is, this is a family affair for you now. In fact, your family has a segment coming out with Warren Miller this year. Yeah, it's amazing. Unreal. You know, who would have thought that? I never would have imagined my children would be skiing in a Warren Miller film. It's, it's great. It's great. So you have been doing this for some time. You've been a coach, a professional instructor, a jury advisor. Take us through, take us through the progression. Well, you know, I, I, like I said, I started like eight, nine, 10 years old, started pushing myself down the hill, no control, no, no tactics, no nothing, knowing nothing about skiing, no, no family pedigree in skiing. You know, there was no one before me, but the sensation of sliding on snow down a hill. And then at that time I didn't have control, but then being able to control and turn when you want to turn and stop, it's just, it's so gratifying and it's so much fun. So I did that for many years. Finally, I guess 14, 15, I tried out for uh, my high school ski team. I was the last kid to make the team. They take 15 kids. I was number 15, proud number 15. And as I skied with them, I started to learn a little bit more. What I would do before that was would, would sort of prep me for making the team was I would follow around the mountain all of the kids that were in ski programs. I couldn't afford a ski program. Back then, the first mountain I skied at was $5 a day, the lift ticket. I couldn't afford a lift ticket, okay? When I went to Bel Air, it was $9 a day. So what I would do, I would ski behind the other kids that were in the race programs and see what they did and, and try to pick it up and, and follow and make the same moves they were making. And, you know, that's how I, I progressed. And I got, I got to the point where I was good enough to become number 15 on ski team. So fast forward to that year on the ski team, I guess halfway through, I started getting better and better. 
So I think by the end of that season, I was probably number 12 or number 10, who knows, but I did get better. I, I just kept progressing. And that was, that was really the extent of it. And then I went away to college and I didn't ski much. I mean, I was, I, I was an avid skier, loved it, but I was playing another sport and, you know, they, they frowned upon you skiing. So we'd, we'd steal away and, and get a couple of days in here and there, but it was so, it was so much fun. When I got out of college, I always, you know, going back to high school, the kids on my ski team would all go to Europe or out to Colorado for, for Christmas holiday. I'd be at Bel Air. I, I couldn't go to those kind of places. You know, it was a few thousand dollars. A family trip would go and they'd ski all over the world. And I told myself when I got out of co college that the minute I have a couple of dollars, I'm going out West. So in the early 80s, I put together some money and I took my first trip out west. First mountain I went to was Breckenridge and that was great. But I got there at night. You know, it was such a long travel. Imagine this. I put everything together the whole week, the lodging, the airfare, the lift tickets, everything was 500 bucks. Wow. Everything. Everything. So needless to say, as soon as one part of the puzzle didn't line up. I wound up being in the airport for about eight extra hours until the next ride came. So I get to the, I get to my lodging. It's, it's like maybe midnight, you know, so I can't see anything. I, I can't see a thing. I get inside. I wake up the next day and I walk outside and I look and the mountains are the largest mountains I've ever seen in my life. I mean, from the street that I'm on, I'm looking up and I, it just seems like the peak just keeps going up. And I was just like in total awe, total shock. I was like, wow, this is big mountain skiing. This is Colorado. So I started back into my ski journey, loving it. And every year, that's all I did. As soon as the snow hit, I would just ski to the point where I told my, my wife uh, to be at that time. I said, if you want to hang out, I said, you got to learn how to ski. And I said, because otherwise, six months out of the year, I'm going to be gone. I said, and, uh, you know, when I come home, hopefully you'll be here. So she learned how to ski and it became a family venture. My triplets, I have triplets, they, they grew up skiing. They started skiing when they're about a year and a half and they haven't stopped. I mean, they're amazing little skiers. We have a great program at Wyndham. It's a great family program. So it allowed me to teach them and, and watch them learn and grow. They're all now first-year U16 Alpine racers, and they also race ski across, but they're doing very well. And that's how it became a, a family endeavor. And we all participate, and it, it's, part of, it's part of our family life. You know, we know come November, we're done. We're done until March. We're skiing every weekend. And that's, that's where we're at. I love it. That's the life. That's the life. So you joined the National Brotherhood of Skiers in 96, and you are now their 16th president. Tell us a little bit about NBS. The NBS is a great organization. You know, I, I wish I had known about the NBS when I was much young. I didn't find it until I was in my 30s. But so 1996, someone, I was actually on a beach in Jamaica reading a ski magazine. And somebody walked by and said, so you ski? I said, yeah. So they, they informed me about the MBS. So the next trip they were having, the next summit they were having was in Austria. And I said, okay, I'll go. So I had never been to Europe. I said, okay, it sounds like a, sounds like a good trip. 
good plan. So I went over there and honestly, uh, before that point, I'd never really skied with more than two or three black people or people of color at all. Didn't think that much of it. You know, I figured this was just a space that, you know, would not be very diverse. It was a space that wasn't very welcoming, but it wasn't a space that I felt intimidated in because I love skiing. So I really didn't care what the look was, what the, the comment was. Didn't matter to me because I was going to ski anyway. So now I'm in Europe and I get out there and I see so many people, so many people of color, so many black people. Uh, it was just it was just so enlightening. It was it was like, wow, this is so cool. Since that day, I've never missed a summer. OK, and then everyone that you I've met over the years becomes a friend. You know, everybody within that organization, you know, right now we, we say we have about 35 members. I honestly can tell you, I know every single one of those people by face. I might not know all their names, but I know every single one of them by face. And it's such a close knit family oriented organization that, you know, once you're in it, you don't ever want to leave it. You know, you're like, you know, you, you can't wait for the first day of summit. And then the last day comes and you're crying because you're like, oh, I'm not going to see you guys till the next event. But it, it is great. So my progression within the organization, I came in in 96, entered the first ski race with them, did well. I think I came in third or something, did well. And I, I liked what was happening. So I said, OK, how do I get involved with the organization? I, I like the competition side of there's a whole lot of parties, a whole lot of great events that are great. They, they're, they're amazing. And you want to partake in those. But I really enjoyed the skiing aspect and, and the racing aspect. So I said, OK, how can I help the organization? And that was through coaching. So I became a certified coach, started helping with the national the national team, helping coach that team and, and just kept wanting to get more certifications and and improve my ability as a coach. So just kept going to classes and, and clinics and everything I could. And I became, as I became a certified coach, then I said, well, where can I go to maintain this and actually do this when I'm not at a summit? Because the summit's only seven days. So, you know, how do I, how do I maintain coaching throughout the course of the winter? That's when I came and I said, you know what, let me try Wyndham. I went to Wyndham. They opened their arms. They said, sure, come on in and coach with us. And that's where I started coaching. And that's where I've been coaching. As I did that, then I said, okay, maybe I should become a certified instructor as well. So I did that. And I am a level two instructor. I have one more level to go. I'm a master teacher um, and, and a children's specialist. But, you know, that, that was the progression. And as that was happening, I was using the skills I was learning and the techniques I was learning to help the National Brotherhood of Skiers coach our national team. Now, the mission of the National Brotherhood of Skiers is to identify, develop, and support athletes of color that are going to win international Olympic competitions representing the United States. And we also add to that that we want to increase participation in winter sports. Now, if you think about that, 
the competition and it's excellent. It's really good. And it's what drives a lot of competitive uh, spirits and athletes. But to get those athletes, we have to increase awareness. We have to increase our outreach. We have to bring in more candidates and more athletes into the athletic pool so that we have, you know, we can build a stronger team. So what we're focusing on much more now, not much more, but we're focusing on more within the National Brotherhood of Skiers is expanding our winter outreach programs. So this year, we partnered with Cats Amsterdam. They gave us a grant, almost $100,000 grant, and that was spreading over four clubs. One of our clubs in Detroit, the Jim Dandies, a club in Boston, Boston Ski Party, a club in Ohio, Coast, and a club in New York, the Thrill Seekers. So those four clubs will each host five outreach trips to the mountain, exposing youth, probably 50 to 100 uh, youth per trip. So that's anywhere from 250 to 500 per club per year that's going to get exposed to skiing. We're also going to find and train four additional ski instructors. Now, that is critical because you want the kids that you're teaching and training to see role models. I mean, just like anything else in life. If you see it, you can be it, you know? But if you always see the other guy on the other side, you're like, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I can't be an instructor. So this is to, to open up that thought process so they see that this is a possibility, you know? And that's, the outdoor industry is so vast and it's so, it's, it's so, I didn't even know how to say it, but if you're, if you're interacted with the outdoor environment, you won't kill this planet. You know, you won't destroy it. You know, you're going to want to cherish it. You're going to love it and you're going to want to help it grow. So I think that we really need to focus on that, especially now with the climate crisis that we're in, you know, um, the climate crisis is going to happen anyway. But mankind has definitely accelerated that whole process substantially, exponentially. So, you know, that's, that's what we're doing with the winter outreach. This year, we have 16 athletes on Team NBS. They're all receiving uh, scholarship awards to help them further their training, their travel, whatever we can do to help them pursue this dream. That's what the MBS is gonna do for them. I, after becoming instructor and a coach with the MBS in, I, I don't even remember what year, 2003, 2004, I was uh, appointed the Olympic Scholarship Fund Administrator. That was the person that oversaw the monies that we collected to administer the scholarship awards to our athletes. After that, I was, appointed the national competition director. After that, I ran for regional vice president, uh, not regional vice president, national vice president, and I won that. And now uh, I ran for president and I won the presidency. So as of 2020, I'm 16th president of the National Brotherhood of Skiers. It is an honor to be amongst those individuals that have led this organization because the organization is historic in itself. You know, we've been around 50 years. Skiing's been around a long time, but we've been around the same time as modern skiing. 
You know, so I want people to really understand that blacks are not new to skiing. Okay. And, and it, it's, you know, people are misinformed, especially the ones that say, oh, black people ski, you know, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Black people don't ski. That's totally wrong. There are many blacks that ski, snowboard, and, and, and I say ski, but when I say ski, I do mean all snow sports, snowboarding, riding, telly, whatever it is, we do it and we do it well. You know, so what I really want people to take away from this is that we are the MBS. The MBS has been around a very long time and we're going to be around a long time. We are part of the snow sports industry. The snow sports industry is aware, they have awoken to this position that they do realize that black people do ski. They do realize that the NBS is here. They do realize that the NBS is a resource for them. We're here to help them. They're the only ones that can change the perception and what's happening in the snow sports industry. But we can help, we can guide them, we can give them insight, we can tell them the things that shouldn't be done. We can tell them the things that shouldn't be said and we can help them with their marketing campaign. You know, they, if you're going to market to black people, you need black people in your marketing material. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take too much to figure that one out. So we're working hand in hand with a lot of different entities within the snow sports industry to make this a reality. It's a shame that people don't realize it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. It's difficult if you don't want to do it. Okay. So so, you know, my, I, I say to them and I say to all the naysayers, if you really want to do this, it can be done. You know, it really can. And, and it should be done. Because as, as you find, the more diverse you make your team, the better your team produces. You know, and that's in every aspect of life and business, no matter what it is. You know, so once we start looking at ski resorts, looking at the management of ski resorts, looking at operations of ski resorts, ski instructors, ski patrollers, hospitality managers, you start bringing people of color into those positions, you're going to see an increase in your revenue. You're going to see an increase in, in your membership or your participants or, or the people and, and your vendors. All of that's going to change all that's going to increase and your bottom line's going to increase you know so the question is do you want to do that or not because it, 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 there's no way that it's been proven that financially that's the it, it's a gold mine for you you know it's a gold mine so if you don't want to do it that means you don't want the money that means that you don't want to be inclusive that's what it means. It is, there are no two ways to say it. There's only one way to say it. Either you do it or you don't. Either you want it or you don't want it. That's it, you know? Well, and the census that came out in the US last year and Canada the year before both show that like these two countries are diversifying exponentially fast. So that's, 45. An, that's an entire market that some people are leaving on the table. Yeah. And as you, as you know, from the census report, 2045 is the year that the minority residents will, will be the primary inhabitants of the country. 
So do you want to, do you want to plan for the future or do you want to not plan and fail? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? And, and again, it, it, the, the question is so simple, you know, do you, do you want to do it or do you not want to do it? That's it. That is all there is to it. You know, we can have, we can sit down, we can have meetings, we can have Zoom meetings every month or DEI committee meetings and all these different think tanks and processes on how do we make snow sports more inclusive? How do we do that? You know, either you want to do it or you don't. You hire people or you don't. If you don't, well, we've got to build up our infrastructure that will support us hiring Black people and people of color to work in our resorts that are all white. Well, you can't wait to hire people to increase your, your inclusion. You know, if you wait, oh, well, let me work on my infrastructure. I'll wait five years and build this up and then I'll start hiring. That doesn't work. All right. You have to do all these things simultaneously. You must bring people in. Sure. You might lose some people because they said, I'm not working here. I'm the only black person in this whole place. And they might walk out, but you might get two more that say, hey, I don't mind. And I want to help increase diversity within this organization. And then once you get two, then you get four then you get eight, then you get 16. Next thing you know, you've got an inclusive workforce, you know, but you can't do it. Wait, I'm going to I'm going to train all the existing white employees I have on how to accept a black employee coming in. I should be ready to start hiring in about five years. Okay. All right. So I'm going to put your resume in this file cabinet and wait. And in five years, I'll start hiring you guys. You know, do you want to do it or you don't want to do it? We're back to there's only one question. You know, that's it. Yeah. So we can play around with it all you want. But the reality is, are you ready to do this or not? Hopefully, the NBS, will, the direction I want to go with the NBS is to be that resource for a lot of these industries and tell them just what I told you. Guys, if you want to do this, we, we're here to help. We're here to assist. But you've got to pull the trigger. You're the one that has to make this happen. You have all the money. You have the resources. You have the facility. What do we have? We have nothing. You know, but we can tell you what you need to do and we can tell we can tell you how we can help. But you've got to want to do this. And then again, the next question, I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. But the next question is, do you want to stay exclusive or do you really want to be inclusive? You know, so it's the guy and I'm going to he's sitting up there in that white ivory tower and he's looking down at his exclusive resort. Does he really want blacks and people of color in his resort? That's the real question. Does he want to do that or, or not? He's the one. It's not, it's not his CEO. It's not his manager. And I'm saying his, it could be hers. I don't know. But it's not, it's not their call because there are a lot. I've met many CEOs, many presidents of organizations that definitely want to see inclusion. They definitely want to see more diverse communities at more diverse populations at their resorts. I know it. And, but they're not the ones that are signing the check. You know, they're not the ones that, that write the, that, that say, okay, let's do it. You know, they can make the uh, recommendations, but it's not their call. 
So we've got to convince the ones that are pulling the strings, the ones that make the calls to make the call, you know, and say, okay, this is what we need to do. This is the way it needs to go. In 2045, we're going to have such a diverse and inclusive population. I would want to be ahead of that. I would want to be, you know, people are going to say, when I, when, before I joined the MBS, I, I don't think I've ever missed a ski magazine. Okay. So what I would do back then is I'd flip through and say, where do I want to go skiing? Because back then they advertised all the trips in the books. They don't do that anymore, but they used to advertise all the trips in the book. And as I flipped through, I would look to see if I see any faces that look like mine. And back then I saw none, zero, uh, none, none, absolutely none. And so that wasn't a barometer for whether I would go to the mountain or not. For me, it was just whether it was a, a mountain that was uh, challenging enough or, or a mountain that I had never been to. Now, when I go through, or maybe even the last 15 years, as I flip through magazines, I say, do I want to go to this mountain? And I'll look at their brochure. If I don't see, and I'm counting, I count constantly. If I'm flipping through, and let's say I just went through Freerider, Freerider magazine, all right, their buyer's guide for this year. I don't know how many pages, maybe 150, 200 pages in the magazine. Three faces of color. One black male and two Asians. Oh, no, and one was a female Asian. Yeah, three, three in 150, 200 pages. You know, that's abysmal. That's terrible. It, what we need to be doing, and it's not, you know, in February, Black History Month, let's make sure that we get a lot of photo shoots and get a lot of color in our, in our magazine. And then those Blacks and, and people of color that want to travel, oh, they're going to travel during Black History Month. So let's make sure that our magazine and our brochures are loaded. You know, I'm looking all the other months. For me, Black History Month is 12 months a year. Okay. I wake up Black every day. You know, there's no change for me. So I want to see consistency. That it, and it's not, it's not a difficult task. It is not. You know, right now, anything they do is better than what they have done. All right. Because if I look through this magazine, I see three faces of color in the whole magazine. And then, you know, you look at PSIA, you look at USSA and oh, all of the organizations, they need to really start representing. And if they do it, they can do it on a small scale and just ramp it up. I was online today and I went to Spider's website. I clicked, I saw a pair of pants that, you know, I don't need, I don't need ski pants for the rest of my life. But I saw a pair of ski pants and I said, wow, those look really sharp. And I did it at the wrong time because my wife was over my shoulder and she was re ready to hit me in the head. And so I click on the pants and it was a moving uh, model. He was black. I was in shock. I screamed. I said, look at this. Spider is taking the initiative. It was the only, only model they had on the page. And he was black. And I was like, wow. I was like, you know what? And I say that, and I'm happy to say that because Spider partnered with us last year. Spider is a, a huge 
supporter and sponsor of our national team of the National Brotherhood of Skiers team. And they're, they're remarkable in what they're doing, but I did not know that that model was on their, on their website. So when I clicked on it, I was just really, I was really happy. I was in shock and I said, this is great. And this is what needs to happen. I don't think you're gonna hurt sales because a white patron goes on your website and they see a black model. I don't think it's gonna hurt you. I think it's gonna help you if a black patron goes on your website and they see a black model, I can almost tell you, I would have, I would have bought those pants if my wife wasn't sitting there. <laughs> I would have bought them. Okay. I would have bought them. But, but, you know, it, it, it's just, I, I keep saying it over and over again, but it's just such a, a daunting task that they don't understand. It isn't that daunting, you know? The answer is, what do you really want to do? You know, that's the question. And I mean, you said the people who are running resorts, the, you know, the industry leaders, they have the money, the resources, the facilities, but NBS has something magic. And and I want to know what it is. Your retention rate for a first time skier is five times the national average. When people come to see, come out with you the first time they come out, they stay with skiing. So Like, tell me, your approach is different. So tell us about it. Our approach is a family approach. Our approach is a friendly approach. Our approach is to make sure that you don't get hurt, that you can experience the thrill of skiing with somebody holding your hand. All right, because I believe that we've come through it. So, so many of us come through that process. I remember about 25 years ago, I was coming back from Taos, New Mexico, and I was in the airport and I saw a young lady that I'd seen on the trip. And I said to her, how was your experience? She was upset. She was livid. She was nobody helped me. Nobody showed me anything. And I was like, really? I was like, why didn't you ask? I said, I didn't realize that you were by yourself and no one was there to help you. So she had gotten pushed off and, and left for the mountain ski school to help her. What NBS does, we have never ever clinics, not even clinics, because before the last two years, we were not a certified ski school. We are now a certified ski school. But we used to have, and we still do have like orientation clinics with all of our never evers, anyone that signs up first time skier that one experiences, we make sure we'll hold a hand. And I'm telling you, some, some of the instructors will come back after they said, oh my God, they can't ski, <laughs> you know? And it's funny, but they don't mean anything negative about it, but it's just that they, they spent their whole day making sure that they got through the experience. The initial experience is the worst. I've seen people come out of the rental shop with their boots on the wrong feet. And the rental shop didn't even tell them that, you know? So we, you know, we, we hold their hand, we take them through it. So that's one aspect of why our retention rate is higher. That's just one. The other aspect is that our summits and our events are such a great time. The events that we have, the parties that we have, the opera ski that we have, it's off. There's nobody, there's no place I've been that does it better. No place. So even if you're dissatisfied with how your skiing turned out 
or how your, your first time event scheme turned out, it doesn't matter. You're going to give it a second shot because the parties were unbelievable. You're going to come back and say, wow, well, I did have a good time, at, you know, at the happy hour. So maybe next year I'll come back and, and I'll do happy hour first and then ski. No, no, never do that. But they build such a rapport with everyone there. And the camaraderie is what keeps people coming back year after year after year. I, and people that I've met in 1996 still come with good friends and we look for each other every year, you know, and that's why we all come, you know? So I think that's part of, that's a major part of our attention. It's a camaraderie that's built over the years and people just love the NBS. They love their friendships. You know, it's your ski family. I have not had an opportunity to come to a summit. It's, it's on, it's high on my bucket list. And February 5th through the 12th, 2022. Where is it? Snowmass, Colorado. Snowmass. Okay. And even, even last year, I did attend online last year. Oh, you did come to the virtual. Great. Yeah. Even online, it was a party. (laughs) Oh yeah. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, you know, we're not quite out of the woods yet with COVID-19. So we're really hoping, we're planning for a great event, but in the interim, if anything should go awry and if any of the COVID spikes or, you know, we'll, we'll have to go a different avenue, but hopefully we don't. Right now, this is October 21st, is that right? October 21st, we have almost 700 individuals registered for our event and we still have five months to go. So. You know, I, I think that we'll definitely reach a thousand and we're going to have another great, great summit, another great event. And this time it'll be in person. Amazing. Yeah. I really want to come. I really want to bring my dad. I don't think oh, my dad has ever cool. skied with other black people. Oh, please. Other than his brother. Please, please bring him. And, and I'm telling you, the first time I experienced, oh, the best one was in 1997 for me. I uh, was at Vail Resorts at Vail and I, I came out of my condo and I was in the town plaza and everyone out there was black. I mean, but it was full. There were 5,000 people there. It was unbelievable. And I was just like, I, you know, I was, I was smiling so much, you know, you just like, you were just in heaven. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So, um, Coming very close to your 50th season, and, and you've been with the organization for a long, long time. What innovations or progressions are you seeing in the sport? Well, you know what's, what's helped the industry overall is the new design of the shape ski. That's helped a lot because that's allowed people the learning curve on how to ski, how to move up from a novice to an intermediate much quicker and and that's helped the industry a lot it's helped us a lot what innovation i'm looking to see it's not an innovation it's it's a a clarification i want to see more more inclusion i you know we're starting to see very slow the wheel turns so slow with this it's tough but but i would like to see changes in management. I would like to see additions in PSIA, the Professional Ski Instructors of America. What do you have? What is it? CSIA or something up in Canada? But PSIA 
We've got thousands of instructors across the country. We have two black examiners in the whole country, two, you know, so we've got to work on that. And that's what I, I think once we start getting that happening, that will attract more and more instructors to pursue higher levels of instruction. You know, we see that happen. That in itself will, will be a catalyst for more people wanting to come out and, 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 and find out what's going on. What is this all about? You know, and it'll spark that interest. We get that going. That is what I'd like to see. That's the innovation I'd like to see. But it's got to be, you know, within management. Like I said, hospitality. You know, you go to some of the, think about this. I go to Jamaica, West Indies, and almost all of the resorts are run. You, you, the hospitality managers are Black and the chefs are Black. And, and they're excellent cooks. You know, and their management is very good. They send more of their cooks, their chefs, their managers overseas because Jamaica is a small island, you know? So that, I think that is their, one of their jump off points with it, where people can go abroad and, and study and make their dream come true. So they go all over and, you know, you go to Boston and you'll see hospitality managers that are Black. And, and you're like, wow, okay. So that's what we need to start seeing in the snow sports industry. There are, you know, there are so many capable, competent individuals of color. And I don't even know why I have to say this. There should be no reason to say this. I mean, you look at the people that put rockets on the moon and, and rocket in space. The mathematicians were black, you know? So what more do you need? That is probably, you know... <laughs> Those people were putting their lives in this one black woman's hands, you know, and they're still and they came back, you know, so they got to know that we're more than competent. So that's that's what needs to happen, you know. So I know it wasn't exactly the answer to the question that you asked, but but that's that's what I'm looking for. Those are the type of innovations I would like to see all across the board, you know. And it's got to happen, not just inclusion with black skiing. You know, that's one aspect of it. But we need to see Blacks in the snow sports industry, in the outdoor industry. You know, we have very few park rangers that are Black, you know. And, and at the turn of the century, not this turn, back at the 1900s, they had a few. They had quite much more than we have now. But then they shut that down, you know. So we, there's just so many opportunities that these young kids don't realize are out there. And we have to make these, these career paths known to them. Say, look, you can do this, you know, and, and live a great life, you know, be in, and be in nature. One of my daughters, she loves the water and she wants to be a marine biologist. So I'm really hoping that she sticks with that and, and pursues a career in the outdoors because it's so much better for you holistically, you know, you know than being cramped up in the city even all the smog and the, and the carbon monoxide that's coming out of every type of uh, combustible engine in the city, you know, stay out in the outdoors, stay away from us, you know, enjoy your life. Talking about attracting people or giving the people the understanding that there's these opportunities. It seems like there's this perception that snow sports happens far away 
in expensive places. But I mean, you have, the NBS has clubs all over the world and they're not in places that you would typically associate with skiing like Aspen or Tahoe. You've got clubs in Miami, St. Louis, Atlanta. You're everywhere. Yep. And so like these urban clubs, places that are, you know, in the South, not typically associated with skiing, how are they outreaching in the community? How, like, how do they work? Well, you know, what's good about our organization is most clubs are year round clubs, you know, so it's not just skiing, it might be cycling, it might be kayaking, it might be hiking, you know, bowling, but, but it's, it's, Again, it's camaraderie. They, they build a, a bond within the club. So then they get to the point where it's ski season. And that in, and most of our clubs say ski and ski and ride or, or, or ski and skate or whatever it is. But they keep the interest all year long. And then they plan that big excursion or two trips a year to do skiing. And I think that's what helps us deal with the proximity issue, not being close to the mountains, you know, but they'll talk about it. You know, you do one trip, you're going to talk about it for the next 51 weeks until that, that, that week comes along again. And then you can have that trip, you know, so that's, I think that's how we do it. But it, again, it's what keeps our retention rate so high. It's the, the bond within the clubs. You know, it gives us something to talk about and something to plan for. So it's, so they're less of a ski club and more of a community. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Again, like I said, the MBS, that's, that's, these are family clubs. These are, you know, we've got people that are married within the club. You know, the grandkids are the offspring of several members within the club. You know, this one's grandfather, that one's the grandmother. And it just stays. It, the, the clubs just grow, you know, and, and they all grow around that one thing we all love, which is skiing, winter sports. Well, and I found that once you're in community, there's other opportunities as well. You learn where the swaps are. You pull together for transportation and, and reduce your costs. As soon as you're in community, it, things become so much easier. Yes. They do. And, and you're right. We do have a lot of swaps. And, and you know what? Some of the swaps are, are not even about the money, you know, because we have some people that are, are financially well off and they just want to, they say, oh, I don't need to have 10 jackets in my closet. And they just bring them to the meetings and give them away. But you're absolutely right. We have ski swaps, bike swaps, you know, and we, even, we have a lot of scuba divers as well that are in our club. We have a lot of boaters that are in our clubs. So there's all, all year long, it's not just skiing, but it's a lot of different things that they do swap. And it reduces the expense as well, you know, cause you know, skiing can be quite expensive, yeah. you know? Absolutely. When you're talking to, you know, talking back to people who are just sort of listening to this sort of stuff for the first time, cause for our, a lot of our listeners are people who, over the, especially over the course of the pandemic, more people are getting outside. They're finding new ways to recreate in safe spaces. And so they've tried a few new things and now they're interested and they're like, what's next? How do I grow this? How do I expand this? What, what's your advice to them? What's next? Well, I'm so glad that, you know, things are lift, you know, 
last year was tough skiing out of my trunk our minivan you know that was your lodge you change your boots you did everything in there so you know even though the industry did not see a dip in participation you know their their record actually was above normal the amount of skier days they had or snow sports days that they had with hopefully i think this year is still a little tentative we don't know what's going to happen i don't we don't know if we're going to have a large influx of people we don't know if we're going to get shut down but i think people are ready to get out you know i think people are biting at the bit to get out of their houses to get out of that covid routine they want to get out and if if we get through this crisis and everything is going that way hopefully it will i think people are going to be busting out of their houses just to to they could be kayaking they could be riding their bike mountain biking uh, road biking and definitely skiing, snowshoeing, just just walking. They don't care. They just want to get out. So I think the pandemic it hasn't helped us, but it definitely made people much more aware that they would rather be outdoors than stuck in their houses, you know, and quarantined. So I think that it's going to be a positive thing for us. I think people are just going to be rushing out, and hopefully, hopefully. It's this year. Hopefully it's this winter. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm excited to get out. My, my skis, ski season last year was severely condensed and it, it was. Where do you normally ski? I'm normally at Sunshine and Banff. Okay, cool. Love it. Those are great mountains. Love it. Yeah. I'm hoping maybe you guys will bring the summit back. Yeah. You remember when we were there? It was excellent. (laughs) It was excellent. So you've given a lot of advice backwards to the ski industry to say what you need to do. But if you could give, and I know you've been doing this a lot, so I I bet you you've probably got it condensed. If you could say one statement, do this, what would it be? The one statement that I would say, do this is stop talking and start acting. I, I appreciate what I don't, you know, George Floyd has done a lot that he has no idea that he I, you know, I really feel for his family that he had to be sacrificed because that's what it was. He was killed. He was murdered in the street. And, but what he has done that the industry and white America has said, okay, enough is enough. See, in a, in a black community, this happens all the time. We see senseless murders all the time. And, you know, it happens on such a constant cycle that, you know, it, it, you just get numb to it after a while. And, and we hate it because you got a young, innocent Black man that's killed in the street and then will show concern for three months and then it's forgotten. And in four months, another young Black man is killed in the street and will show concern for four months, three months, and then Month four, another black man is killed in the street. So now it seems like we've gained allies and accomplices that want to help stop the racial injustice. So that is what I hope. Well, that is what the NBS is trying to, well, I'm trying to do within through the NBS is to keep the ski industry awakened. You know, stay awoke, stay awoke and don't, don't 
become complacent. Don't let that, you know, the time wipe it out. And then you forget about George Floyd. And, it, and I'm just using George Floyd because there's so many more, you know, it is thousands of us that have been murdered in the street and, and they're forgotten, you know? So let's stop that and let's start acting. Anybody can write a letter and align themselves with Black Lives Matter. Everybody did it and anybody can do it. But to stand up for what you're saying, stop talking and start doing, start hiring Black people in your workforce. Start allowing more accessibility to the ski industry and to the resorts. You know, start helping increase winter outreach. You know, let's just start seeing you do it. You know, talking is great. You know, everybody loves to talk, but let's see you do it. So talk less. Let's see it. Let's see it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Show me. Don't tell me, but show me. That's it. You know, we need more people from Missouri. Absolutely. Um, you in the last few years, you've been everywhere. You've been on podcasts and magazines, on movies. You've been doing this quite a lot and answering a lot of questions. What's one question that you've always wanted to answer, but no one's ever asked you? Hmm. Hmm. Ah, that's a tricky one. You know, I I I, I don't think I have an answer for that, but what haven't I been asked or asked to answer. Well, I, I think that what I've done is I try to circumnavigate that and I always put out there what I want them to answer. And that that is, you know, just what I just told you. I, I need, I need, I've been given an opportunity. I've been given a platform to, to get the message out there. And I'm going to do my part to do that. But I need them to step up and say, okay, you know, we're willing to do this, you know, because you can always get lip service. I, I get that. I get it all the time. And I was in construction and engineering and, and it's the same thing. You know, what people don't realize is that the ski industry is the epitome of white privilege. And the epitome of white privilege is the American way. You know, so what we're concentrated on and looking at right now in the ski industry is America. All right. So it's, it's that's the real deal. It's not about skiing. You know, skiing is just something that we all love to do. But it's about the American and the global picture of racial inequality. You know, so we've got to take on the whole picture. You know, so what we do in the ski industry And I tell this to some of them, I said, guys, what we're doing here can trickle down into the into the world. I said, because that's where the problem is. I said, you know, you're looking at the foundation of this country. There is nothing. Everything that was this country was built on was racial inequality. Everything. Because for for a white person to get ahead, they made sure that a black person was put behind. And they made sure that they were able to step on that person to get what they needed. So you cannot, you cannot 
rebuild the, the foundation of this system. You cannot do that. You have to remove it. The whole thing has to be redone. It, there is no way that you can save this foundation. This foundation, there is nothing, there is nothing equal about it. There is not one thing that is equal about it. And I, I try to tell other folks, they don't understand that as a black man growing up, when I was a teenager, I knew about inequality. I knew about discrimination. I knew about hate. As a 20 year old, I knew the same things, but I didn't understand the magnitude of the system that was in place and the system that is in place. I didn't understand how much control it had over my total existence as a black person, as opposed to being a white person. You don't learn that until much farther in your life, you know, and it, it just, it, that whole system has to be ripped out and destroyed. You know, there's, there's no way to rebuild any part of it. So that, you know, I, I don't even know how to say it any clearer. Uh, the system, the way it was built, was built for one purpose, and that was for white people to, to get ahead. And there's not, you know, I, look, if I built the system, maybe I would have done the same thing. Maybe. Personally, I don't think I would have because I like people. I think we all should love one another and, and, and really appreciate each other because there's so much more that can be accomplished with everybody's input, you know, not just one person. And that's the way I, I, I lead my administration within the, the brotherhood. I try to make sure that we have many people participating so that if one leg falls, the others can step up and, and still run the organization. But in this, you know, the, the way this country was built, we have to really take a look at that. And, and they've got to start it over. You know, and it's not it's not an it's not a task that can't be done. It can be done. It can be done. But it has but they have to want to do it. You know, we're asking them to give up the keys to their kingdom. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. But if you know what, it's just like I don't remember which uh, fairy tale it was, but the girl was a Snow White, the one that had to kiss the, 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 the frog or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, she had to have had to have faith that if she kissed this frog, you know, it's a terrible thing to do. I'm kissing this nasty toad. But then, bam, she gets the, the, the reward of a beautiful prince or a handsome prince, yeah. you know. So it's the same thing here. You get, we're asking you to give up the keys to the kingdom for a much better existence. You know, you're going to see how involving every aspect and every race and every person of color, if everybody's involved with this, the, the end result is going to be phenomenal. Yeah. You know, it'll be so much better than what we have. I, I don't even think that we are in a place where we really truly understand just how amazing the benefits will be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I see it. I know it can happen. I know it should happen. Hopefully um, we can get that across to those that are holding the keys. Yeah. So what's the future for the NBS? What's, what's the next, next few years look like? Next few years, big party 2023. 
um, 50, 50 years as the largest black ski council, ski organization, ski club in the world. I think what's next for us will be an Olympian in 2026. I think what's next for us will be partnerships, lasting partnerships, not, I don't want sponsorships and partnerships just for an event. I don't want to get support for a happy hour or for a, a concert. I want to get commitments to the organization to build a pipeline that is going to go from communities that aren't represented right up the ranks through through management hires, operation hires, hospitality hires, athletic building. I want these athletes to get the same training and the same focus that our Olympic athletes get. I don't need them to take the next six athletes and, and just make them black athletes on the US ski team. Because that's that's gonna be success for disaster. That it's gonna be terrible. You know, if they are not fully trained and equipped to handle the situation, why put them in that situation? I wanna see academies, ski academies where we train our athletes have instructors, professors, coaches of color there so that our athletes that we send to these academies don't feel isolated. They don't feel intimidated, you know? And if they do, they have someone they can talk to, you know? So, you know, how do you ask a, a child of color? Well, if you have a problem, go see, you know, your white guidance counselor, they can help you. Let me tell you something. The white guidance counselor I had in high school was the worst person in the world. He told me that I was not, I, I was not fit to or capable to go to a, a four-year institution. He says, you need to stay at a community college. He says, that's where you need to go. And that was the last time I went into his office. That was the last time I went into the guy's office. I was like, really? I said, I've been reading uh, college manuals for the last three years. I said, I know the schools I want to go to. Oh, no, you should go to that community college over there and, and then decide. And I just said, you know what? This is what we have guiding our population of children of color, Black kids. And it's not, it's not helping. It is not helping. It's guiding them into the systems that we're trying to keep them out of. It's guiding them into that prison system. It's guiding them into a, a servant uh, position. You know, we just need you guys to be our laborers. That's that's what we need to train you for. So what I'm looking for is the NBS to help guide and and build us up. You know, we're not just, we've always been for 50 years, we've always been a great party. We've always been the summit. You know, it's a great event. It's the best event in the world as far as a ski event, but we've got so much more to offer. You know, and that's what that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for us to not only train some of the best world class skiing athletes, but with this undertaking of becoming a ski athlete, you're undertaking 
a huge injury risk, you know, because it's so easy to be wiped out in one race. You can rip both your knees, rip all your ACLs out and not race again. So what do you need to do? You need to be prepared for that education-wise. You don't just need to, and, and you know what we've done in this country, in the United States, we produce $40 million slaves, you know, in the NBA, in the NFL, these guys are paid millions of dollars. And the minute they get injured, what do they have to fall back on? A few of them are, are, are set. A few of them were smart enough and they did go to class and they did learn something, but a lot didn't. So when they got injured, they, they're done, their career is over. And hopefully they've, they've had enough that they can keep surviving. We need to make sure that our athletes are trained educationally. They need to be smart individuals because this is a high risk uh, sport, you know, and it doesn't take much to be injured and then you're done, you know? So I, I am advocating that our athletes are all scholars first, athletes second. And that's, that's what I'm looking for with the MBS. That's so important. Those wraparound supports to make sure you're not just developing an athlete, you're developing a whole person. That's it. That's it. Who are some of the athletes we need to be watching for? Well, we got quite a few. Well, Brian Rice is our most promising at this point. Brian Rice is a snowboarder out of Michigan. He's associated with that Jim Dandy Ski Club. So he is close. He's been going to a lot of gold camps, which are the higher end invite only camps that are put on by the U.S. Ski and Snowboard. Then we have another young man, Bronson Culver. He's new to our team this year. He's training out of Stratton Mountain School. He is a second year U16, so he's 15 years old. And he is in, what is he? Slalom, GS, and Super G. Then we have Jaina Davis, Helena Rivers, Anaya Rivers, LJ Enriquez, and Pius Rogers. They're the next tier. They're, they're younger. They're, they're like 14, 15, uh, 13, 14, and Pius is 15. They're on the cusp of, well, let's see what their numbers are this year, see how well they do, but they're the next ones that are really coming into their own. And the three girls, Jaina, Helena, and Hanaya, they're all attending a boarding ski school in New Hampshire. So this year, I expect to see really great results out of them. They went from five to eight competitions a year to now they're doing 20. So, yeah, so they're going to, we're going to see great things about them, you know? So that, that, those are, my son is in there too, but my son is a skier crosser and, and an alpine racer, but he's in there and I'm hoping that he can put two good runs together. Last year, he skied all season and the very last race, he put two solid runs together and came in second. So I was very proud of that. And, you know, this is a tough sport. (laughs) It's a tough sport. You know, it's rough. You train for days and days and days. Then you get that race and you fall, you know, so everything is done. You know, it's all over. Well, and every time you go out, the snow is different. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. So those are the ones that we're looking at. We're always, and I hope people are listening to your podcast, we're always looking for talented, young, Black, and athletes of color 
that are looking for sponsorship. You know, they the only problem is you're in Canada, they do have to be U.S. citizens, not so much citizens, but competing for the U.S. and we can sponsor them or, or support them. But that's what we're looking for. We're always looking. Amazing. And our, and our listeners are across North America and hopefully our reach grows beyond that. So where, where do our listeners find you? www.nbs.org, National Brotherhood of Skiers. We have a brand new website that should be launched and it is awesome. Our team, we had a, a small team that put all of this together that, you know, just amassing all the content and, and doing all the different platforms. It was a, a great undertaking that they really did well. So I'm very proud of the team for putting it together. And I hope that it, I hope we have a successful launch. Fantastic. Well, by the time this goes to air, that website will definitely be launched. And all of the links, including an outline on the athletes we talked about and where to find the NBS, both on social media and on the website, will be in the links to the show notes. Okay, great. Now, please understand the National Brotherhood of Skiers is a 100% volunteer organization. So everything that you said that we've done in the last 18 months, that's all done by volunteers. I don't get paid for my position, okay? And I can't tell you, I don't know how many hours I spend on NBS business a day or even a week, but it's all because I love this organization. It's all because I love the mission of this organization and the direction we're going in. So I say that to say, please support us in any way you can. You can donate to us. Again, go to www.nbs.org, hit that donate button and give thousands of dollars, whatever you want. But you know what? We'll even take $5. (laughs) you know, but we need the support to keep doing the work that we're doing and to stay on mission. So we appreciate you. And this is an amazing organization. Listeners, donate your dollars, volunteer your time, and absolutely follow on social media and on the website to see all of the exciting things that are coming next. And hopefully I will see you at a summit in the not too distant future. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I've got your contact information. I'm definitely going to be sending you reminders every year and every event we have. Okay. Awesome. It was such so, so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode Links on where you can find the National Brotherhood of Skiers are available in the show notes at bipocoutside.com. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did having it. And if you did enjoy it as much as I did, don't hesitate to smash the like button. I hope you'll join us again for another episode of BIPOC Outside.